Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. Putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Amen. So, the Apostle Paul begins to list practical distinctions and he lists these practical truths and it describes basically someone who professes to be in Christ and it in so many ways shows evidence that they are producing fruit within their life as opposed to someone who isn't in Christ and is not producing any evidence of any fruit at all and basically what the Apostle Paul is saying is if God has made us one new man if God has taken both Jew and Gentile and made them one new man if indeed we are new creatures new creations in Christ Jesus as it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 then we should act like it he basically says that new creatures with a new nature should act in a new way. Our new nature should determine the way we think, the way we act, and the way we talk, and the way we walk. And he's basically saying if there is no evidence of real change, and no evidence of, of any distinction in our living then there is a real possibility that there is no change and no distinction in our nature. Because one basically equates the other. And so, as I said, from, from here on in out, he gives these practical things for us to hold on to. And the first thing he says, and it, it's all to do with with our communication with each other. It's all to do with our speech. In, in so many ways it says, therefore put away lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. Here basically Paul quotes from the Old Testament. He quotes from Zechariah chapter 8 and verse 16 which says, 
These are the things you shall do. Speak each man the truth to his neighbor. Give judgment in your gates for truth, justice, and peace. And so we look at this and we, we know that God's economy is established on the foundation of truth. You know, Hebrews says, you know, it's impossible for God to lie. So we know that when we come to him, we can have complete confidence. In the book of Romans, it says, let God be true and every man a liar. So again, we have this confidence in our God. Confidence that what he says is right. Confidence that what he says is true. We have confidence because he is indeed the God of all truth. We know that his spirit is the spirit of truth. And we know that, you know, Jesus in his earthly ministry, you know, he had the title, he was full of grace and truth. And so, God being all these things, he expects no less from his children. He expects his children to, to walk and live to the same standard of truth. That we would be established on truth. And that in our communication with each other, we won't be lying to each other. But we would be speaking truthfully to each other. We would be speaking lovingly to each other. And that's not always an easy thing because, you know, speaking the truth isn't just saying the nice stuff. Speaking the truth is also saying those difficult things. When your brother and your sister are maybe going astray or doing something which is not quite righteous. We have to have a loving way where we can approach them and, and share that with them lovingly, compassionately. And their, their response to that should not be to take offense their response should be to take on board what you have to say. Maybe the way you've seen it isn't quite right. But at least it creates a bit of dialogue. And so he says we should put away lying. Lying should not be named amongst God's children. And so lying, does that mean that you know, we can say those half-truths? Does that mean we can say those, oh, it's only a little white lie? Because as far as God's concerned, a half-truth is still a whole lie. And so, we are to put these things away. And you know, I love the terminology which, which the Apostle Paul uses, you know. Put off the old man, put on the new man. Put away lying. It's like, you know, however it works for you, it's like putting it away in a cupboard or, or, or in a wardrobe or in a safe. You know, put it away, lock the door, throw away the key. Put away lying. Let it not be named amongst you. Because now we have this new nature. We don't lie anymore. And you know, 
all of us, every day, we have an opportunity to bend the truth. We have an opportunity to tell a lie. You know, sometimes in order just to protect, our, protect ourselves, and that's what we usually do when we lie, it's because we want to protect ourselves in some way, or you, we want people to think a certain way about us. And so we lie. And you know, I'm sure people would think a lot more of you if you actually stood up for the truth, even though it may hurt, even, may, even though it may have, you know, great consequences. And you see, even though we're presented with these things every day, the Lord wants us to stand up for truth. Because at the end of the day, he sees everything. He knows everything. He hears everything. Every word that we ever speak is recorded. We will be judged for every idle word which is spoken. So if we're going to be judged for every idle word, I mean, just imagine for, for every lie. You know, God takes lying seriously. Even to the point in the book of Revelation, chapter 21 and verse 8, it says, But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. God doesn't play around with liars. He takes it very, very seriously. And so the, the Apostle Paul is encouraging us to say, put away lying. And perhaps the reason why God takes lying so seriously and he hates it is because of what Jesus says in John chapter 8. John chapter 8 and verse 44 says, you are of your father the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of it. And so when we, when we lie, it's like we're, we're acting just like the devil. Who is the father of all lies. Another reason why the Lord doesn't want us to lie is because he goes on to say, for we are members of one another. And so within a church, within a family, if you just have a family or a church who are just continually lying to each other, there's no stability there. No one ever knows when you're telling the truth. If we're lying to each other, then how do we ever move forward? How do we ever grow? And so, if we are lying to each other, it has far greater consequences. And as Paul writes this, remember, we have to remember that he has the unity of the body in focus. He wants us to be one. He wants us to act as one. And so therefore, we need to be established and we have, on truth. And we have to know that everyone else is being established on truth. And so he says, 
verse 26 goes on to say, be angry and do not sin. And here we have a look at, you know, anger management in a positive and a negative sense. Because as believers, we know that there is a place for anger. There is a place to be angry. And it is the place where we show righteous anger against those things which we know the Lord is not happy with. You know, when we see injustice happening around us, you know, it's right to be angry with God's righteous anger. But the danger is that anger and sin are so close together that we have to be careful. They're so closely related that the apostle warns us. He says, be angry. Yeah, have this righteous indignation about whatever the issue may be, but don't sin. And you know, when those occasions present themselves, when we can quite easily get angry in a negative sense, you know, it's an ideal opportunity in my mind to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. It's an ideal opportunity to turn to Galatians 5 and see and, and know and understand that, you know, we have the, the, the works of the, fr- the flesh, the fruit of the flesh, warring against the works of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. And they're contrary to one another. And as opposed to functioning and, and working in anger, we should be functioning in self-control. If you are someone who, you know, gets angry very, very quickly, then, you know, you need these cutout switches. You need to count to ten. Go for a walk around the corner. Take those deep breaths. You need to do something in order to know that you're giving the Lord room to maneuver within your heart and within your mind. And those emotions which you feel when you get angry, it's like, it's like you just feel infuriated. You, it, it's like you feel knotted up inside. And the Lord is saying, watch it. Watch it because I don't want you to live there. I want you to live with self-control. I want you to have a righteous anger, yeah, because even I, you know, when I, when I rushed out the money changers, that was righteous anger. But you know what? Don't sin. And so, I know none of you guys are like me and when you're driving and somebody cuts you up, but I don't do that anyway. I don't do those things anymore. <laughs> But when you're driving and somebody cuts you up, you start getting mad and you start venting out inside it. Don't, don't sin. Be angry, but don't sin. I would even say don't be angry. Just say, God bless you. I'll meet you at the next set of traffic lights. And maybe I'll say Jesus loves you. So be angry, but don't sin. And you know, 
many of many of our youths today they're angry they don't even know why they're angry but they walk around you know all hitched up and everything hoodies up and they look angry they are angry and you're like why are you angry and you know we you know as believers we need to somehow reach out to these guys and let them know that you know what there's another way you don't have to be angry you know um, I was told many years ago it takes it takes more muscles in the face to have a frown than to have a smile isn't that interesting so you being angry all the time like screwing your face up and everything man you just mash up your own face Need to have a smile. Colgate smile. Ding. You get the picture anyway. But we need to encourage people not to be angry, you know. And if we if we have that anger within ourselves, we need to deal with these things. You know, because again, as I said, these are practical things. These are things we face every day. You know? And so be angry but do not sin. And he goes on to say, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. And again, this is obviously related to the wrong type of anger. And whenever I, I don't know about you guys, but whenever I read this, I always know that it is generally associated with married couples or at weddings. Amen? You guys are quiet today. I've got to stir you up. I've got to stir up that gift within you. But... It's generally associated at, at weddings. And you know, people say, yes, yeah, so when you have your troubles and everything, you know, well, that's at Jamaican weddings. <laughs> All right, let me, let me come back. Okay. When you have your difficulties, <laughs> and you're not communicating so well, do not let the, ang- do not let the sun go down your off, your anger, you know. So, um... <laughs> Uh, I don't know how I did with that, but um, yeah. But when when you are not resolving your issues, you know, it says, don't let the sun go down in your eyes. And, and it's good, and it's true. All the married couples here, it's true. You know, we should not get in a situation with our partners where we're so mad with them that, you know, we go to bed, they turn one way, you turn away, you go, <laughs> and you just don't talk with each other. Again, I didn't get an amen there, so that's we don't do that either. So, um, but in its context, you know, because the apostle Paul, you know, as I was looking at this, I was just thinking because the apostle Paul goes on to speak about marriage, you know, and he doesn't mention it here. I just think that it has a a wider implication. I don't think he's just related to married couples. You know, when he says, "Be angry and do not sin." And do not let the sun go down on your wrath. I, I basically believe that he's speaking to the body as a whole. I think he's saying, you know, when we have beef with each other, when we have disputes with each other, when we have difficulties with each other, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. You know, if your brother offends you, go to your brother. If you bring your gift to the altar and you know that your brother has, leave your gift there. Go and be reconciled with your brother. And do it within a 24-hour period. 
Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Now, I look at this and I think, well, if the body actually functioned in this way, what would the body look like? What would it look like? Because we're a family here, amen. And we have grief, we have drama with each other, amen. But how many of us, when we have drama with each other, actually try to bring reconciliation? Actually approach and say, no, I was really sorry about that. Or, do you know what, this is the situation, can we talk about it? You know, look, at the end of the day, I'm not trying to be right, I'm not trying to be wrong, but can we just resolve this? You know, I don't have to be right. Do you know what I mean? But can we just get to a place where we can walk again? You know, how can two walk unless they're agreed? I mean, because somewhere along the line, if, if you've got beef with me and I've got beef with you, it's affecting the body. And so here it's the encouragement. If you or I have unresolved beef here today, we shouldn't let it go on any further. We should some, somewhere along the line, and I, I used the phrase earlier, and you didn't get a good response, but I'm going to say it again. We should people up. See, that was politically correct. We should man up, woman up, people up, whichever way you want it, whichever size or shape. We should people up. And if you have beef or difficulty, go to your friend, go to your brother, go to your sister and say, you know what, it's beef. Let's drop it, let's squash it. You know, and there's a phrase we used to use back in the day, which is, you know, that is A-level Christianity. A-level. That's, that's for people who are serious about what they say they believe in. That's for people who are serious about their walk with the Lord. You know, the rest, you, you know, you can, get, you can carry on with the bitterness and the anger in your heart. Carry on with it. Because that's between you and the Lord. It's only affecting you. And it has an effect on the other person as well. But you know what? That's between you and the Lord. But we should be of the nature, and we should be saying, no, we don't want to play that game. We want to move on with the Lord. Because he goes on to say that if we don't resolve this issue, and we don't resolve beef, verse 27, he says, no, give place to the devil. What we're actually doing is we're giving place to the devil in our hearts or in our minds. You see, if we allow issues, if we allow things to go unresolved, and we allow them to fester within our hearts and minds, you know, we're actually giving the, the devil an opportunity to work on us, to work in our minds, to work in our thought life, you know. That is the battleground, you know. He comes all the time, he says, yeah, that person said that about you, and this is what they think about you, and you're no good, and you're never going to make it. The Lord doesn't love you. He comes and knocks on all of our doors and said the same thing. And sometimes when we're strong, we're like, ah, you know, we, we, we run with the Lord. But when we're weak, we entertain it. You're right, you know. Oh, it's true. I'm no good. Ah, what can, I, what can I do for the body? What can I bring to, you know, I've got no gifts. I've got no skills. People don't even, you know, when I'm in church, people don't even come up and talk to me. They don't show themselves friendly. Yeah, why, why even bother go? I'm not even going to bother go this week. No, I'd rather just stay in my bed. Yeah, I'll just stay at home. We live there. That's what we do. Pity parties with each other. Or with ourselves, should I say. 
And it's all because you're giving place to the enemy to chat foolishness in your head. And he's saying, do you know what? That's not where my children ought to live. This is not what I want you. I want you to put these things away. Put them in that cupboard. Put them in, you know, put them in that room. Put them in that safe. Lock the door. Throw away the key. Forget about it. And you know, in situations like that, you know, maybe the best thing is not to be angry in the first, just don't be angry in the first place. Because if you're not angry in the first place, it doesn't have that snowball effect. You know, meditate on Galatians 5. And you know, as I was studying this, you know, Galatians 5 just really kept on popping up in my heart and in my mind. And I just kept on saying, you know, it's so relevant for now that this is exactly what we go through. This war this battle against the flesh and against the spirit and it goes on and it goes on and it's like you wake up one day and you say make a bit of respite today let me not get into the battle today we're in it we're in the battle and we can choose to ignore it but we're in the battle but anyway verse 28 goes on to say let him who stole still no longer but rather let him labor working with his hands what is good that he may have something to give him who has need you see here the apostle you know he looks at the eighth commandment which is thou shalt not steal and obviously this is looking at and it's applying to stealing money or possessions but it has other connotations also you know Maybe not giving a full day's work. Maybe going to work and kicking back and not doing what you should be doing. Not doing what you are employed to do. In effect, that's stealing. Maybe tax evasion. Maybe, you again with the whole working thing, maybe you go to work and you, you take that little paper clip or you, you just take that pen without permission I mean that's between you and the Lord but you know is that stealing I don't know you answer it you know stealing 1 Corinthians chapter 6 uh, chapter 1 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 6 sorry says that thieves shall not inherit the kingdom of God so God takes lying seriously and he takes thieving seriously as well. God's children should not be thieves. Even to the point where, you know, to our own detriment, we, we can make to, to, to look silly. Has anybody ever, you know, um, gone into a shop and been given more too much change and then you check it you're walking out you think oh they've actually given me too much change oh what do I do do I go back and give them the the, the, the the amount which they shouldn't have given me or do I just go on my merry way and you know not to boast or anything but having done that before they look at you like you are mad now 
is that done for their benefit? That's done for my benefit because I have to give an answer to the Lord for that. Do you know what I mean? I don't want him to say, P, do you remember on that day? What day, Lord? Yeah, that day. Remember when you should have only got £10 but you got £20 back? Oh, did you give it back? I don't want to be accountable for that. But that's just me. That's between you and the Lord. But he says, thieves shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And, and it's just an obvious thing to say, really, isn't it? As I said, what, what we're looking at now are practical things, which is, in some ways, obvious things. And Paul doesn't necessarily dwell there. He moves on to say, you know, if that was your nature before Christ, before your relationship with Christ, that you stole, you were a thief, whatever it was, Change. Simple. No longer steal. Don't steal anymore. Change. And now work. And when you're working, work in such a way that you would be a benefit to others. Work in such a way that you can be a blessing to others who have need. That's what it says. You know, that he may have something to give him who has need. I mean... That must be such a blessing for someone who, who actually lived that lifestyle before they came to Christ. To know that they lived a life of just taking what they wanted. And now, they can work honestly. Earn whatever it is. And they can look at someone in need and say, instead of, instead of me taking, I want to give to you. Not because I want to look like something or look big. But you know what? It's at the abundance of my heart. I just want to give. Again, it's an, it's an attitude of love because love desires to give. It doesn't desire to take. So he says, exchange this stealing for working. And you know, when the Bible says that if you don't work, I'm going to say it again because I need, I need something. If you don't work, don't eat. So God expects his children, God expects those who call his name to be people who will work. And when they work, they will do an honest day's work. They would set an example within the workplace of, you know, not being angry, you know, having good commit, not lying. You know, when people in your workplace, you know, look at you, they know that they're going to get, someone's going to get a balanced and truthful, you know, opinion about something. That they can trust what you say. They might not agree with what you say, but they can trust what you say. You know, as opposed to, oh yeah, they say they're a Christian, but they just tell lies all the time. Yeah, they say they're a Christian, but oh yeah, they're late for work every single day and they leave early every single day. Ouch. So, he says we are to replace stealing with sharing. And we are to replace taking with giving to others who are in more need. Verse 29 goes on to say, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, 
but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. So, the Apostle Paul turns from the use of the hands and working to the use of the mouth. And it's interesting because the Lord Jesus himself taught in Matthew 12, he, he taught that our speech would reveal exactly what was going on in our hearts. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You know, James also, you know, says that the tongue has that immense power for either for good or for evil. And here in Ephesians 4, you know, the Apostle Paul is encouraged us not to allow corrupt communication to proceed out of our mouth. So we shouldn't be people who are out there swearing, sharing crude jokes or sexual innuendos or saying anything vulgar. You know, that, that should not be the way we communicate with each other, but that should not be the way we communicate with those who do not know the Lord. And it's interesting that the word, the Greek word that Paul uses for corrupt or evil words is the Greek word sapros. And this word sapros is always used to describe rotten fruit. And, you know, just think about it. I used the example of bananas earlier, but when a banana's overripe, I mean, who, who ever likes to eat an overripe banana, banana when it's just soggy and, and black and it just, it's just horrible? Or any fruit for that matter, when it's, when it's rotten. You know, you don't just look at a banana or an apple or a pear, whatever it may be, and it's rotten. You think, oh yeah, I'm hungry, I'm going to eat that. You, you, you refrain from it. And so this is what he's saying. Don't let those rotten words come out of your mouth. It's not beneficial to anyone. Nobody wants it, really. And again, as I said before, knowing that we will be judged for every idle word. You know, why why would we want to be using bad communication anyway? Corrupt communication. Why would we want to be using that anyway? So it is in our interest to put a harness on our tongues and watch our conversation. You know, we probably all had had experiences where our mouths just run away with us. We start speaking before we know it. It's like we're just talking. And in our minds, we're saying, we shouldn't be saying this. I shouldn't be saying this. I should stop. Holy Spirit's going, "Mm -mm, that's not good. Stop. Mm -mm, Stop. And you're like, you carry on anyway. And we know, you get that witness. Amen? We get that witness. And that's the point where we need to say, harness, bridle it. Watch our conversation. 
And if we live there, if that is us, and we have a problem with that, we just let our mouths just run with us, pray about it. Pray to, pray to the Lord for help. You know, the psalmist says in, in Psalm 141 and um, verse 3, he says, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. You see, he cried out to the Lord saying, you know, I can't even control this thing. I need you to help me control this thing. So instead of using corrupt words, we are encouraged to exchange these for words what are good and necessary for edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. So our conversation should be wholesome. Our conversation should bring encouragement to those around us. You know, our conversation when we're amongst believers should be, you know, edifying and, and speaking of the Lord and able to build up. And our conversation where, when we're amongst, you know, our friends or our family or our work colleagues or whoever it may be, it should be wholesome. It should be rich. It should be different. You know, they should be able to see a difference within us. We should, be, we should be able to bring salt and light into every situation we come into with our conversation. And after listing all these things, you know, the Apostle Paul then turns and says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. See, we have this... This link again to the Holy Spirit who has sealed us. You know, he's doing his work. He's doing his work in us. And he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And the fact is, if we're not putting on the new man, if we're not putting away anger, if we're not putting away lying, if we're not putting away corrupt communication, basically, we're in a place where we're grieving the Holy Spirit. And his ministry is to bring us into the image and the likeness of Christ Jesus. So it's like, that's what he wants to do. It's like he works on us and he says, yeah, let's work together. And I want to I make you into the image and the likeness of Christ. You know, that's what we want to do. But when we start grieving him and we have sin in our life, it's like the work he wants to do, it's like he has to pause now. Well, I want to do all this stuff and make you into the image and likeness of Christ, but you've got sin in your life. And because you've got sin in your life, now I have to convict you of sin, get you to the place where you repent of the sin, confess the sin, and then be brought back into restoration, right? Now we can walk again and be changed into the image and likeness of Christ. So, Paul's saying, look, don't operate like the old man. Put on Christ. Put on the new man. Put yourself in a position where you're not going to be grieving the Holy Spirit and he can be working in, in you to do what he wants to do, to willing to do according to his good pleasure. And so, we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. 
actually want to be working with him because again he's the one who's going to bring us to that point where you know in the scriptures we see that we are saved we are being saved but one day we will ultimately be saved that's that process so we're in that in between stage now where he wants to produce that Christ likeness in us so we shouldn't grieve him and so to 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 end this section Paul basically summarizes what he's just said with six negative actions which we are to avoid and three positive actions that we are to adopt. And so the first six negative actions are, they're all bitterness, which is basically a sour spirit. Or someone who is sour of speech. Now I know, I know. Again, that's kind of like this. That's kind of like a West Indian thing, you know. When when someone says, you know, them sour, you know, it's it's you know when they're just not good. There's something not right about them. There's something bitter and horrible about them, you know. You know, that, I used to hear that when I was growing up. And so you get you get you get what I'm trying to say. It's like. We shouldn't be of that sour and bitter spirit. Our speech shouldn't be sour and bitter. That people around us think, oh, yeah, I can't really take that person because you know they just give me that, that sour feeling. Or whenever they talk, it's just bitter and angry. You know, those, those people are just not nice to be around. They're always angry. And then he goes, let all wrath, which... It basically describes someone who has a passionate rage about things. It says, let all anger, which denotes this, this hostility towards, ang- towards others. You know, when we think about these things, these are things which pretty much happen when we just lose control. When we're not necessarily in our right frame of thinking, you know, we just get bitter about things because maybe something's happened or, you know, we just wrath. You know, it's just, we lose control in so many ways. And, you know, it's like Paul is saying, you know, keep control. Have self-control. Use the control of the spirit here. Let all clamor. And clamor is an interesting word because it describes someone who, who loves to raise their voices and shout and scream and quarrel and have rage. You know, when they're having an argument, everyone's got to know that they're arguing. And he says, let, let, the, you know, let it be put away from you. Evil speaking, which is the Greek word blasphemia. We obviously know what that means, like the word blasphemy. It's blasphemia. You know, defaming or destroying someone's reputation or character. You know, let these things be put away from us. With all malice, which again is wishing or plotting against people. And the fact is, if we don't deal with the old man, if we don't put off the old man, And these negative functions, 
you know, it's just evidence that really there isn't real change within our hearts. But God wants us to move from these negatives to his positives. His positive characteristics. And so he says in verse 32, and be kind to one another. Now, again, is that such a hard thing to do as believers? Just to show kindness to each other. And the word for for kind is Christos, which I find very, very interesting. And that's what I know the early believers, you know, they took great comfort in this word because it was so closely associated with Christos. The name of our, what the name we give to our Lord, Jesus Christ. So they wanted to operate within kindness. They wanted to have that desire to be helpful, even if it meant going through personal sacrifice. And it's only right that we operate in this sense, because even on the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus says, in Luke chapter 6 and verse 35 it says but love your enemies do good and lend hoping for nothing in return (laughs) that's a good one isn't it you give something to someone hoping for nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the most high for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. You see, that's the God we serve. He allows the sun to, to, to rise on the just and on the unjust. He is, he is kind to the unthankful and evil. And so, knowing that this is the God we serve, you know, how much more should we be acting in the same way? We are to produce the same level of kindness towards others that God has shown us. And we are to do this whether we think they deserve it or not. And then he says, being tender-hearted, which is also showing compassion, forgiving one another, which is literally acting in grace towards one another and having a willingness to overlook wrongs. And we do this because as he closes, he says, just as God in Christ forgave you. God's done it for us. So we should be doing it towards others. We should be acting in grace, acting in love, forgiving, loving, compassionate, showing kindness. So as Becky comes up to lead us in one song in closing, shall we pray? Amen. Heavenly Father, we truly thank you again for today and your word, which says that it shall not return unto you void, but it shall accomplish all that it's been sent forth to do. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity to sit under your word. I pray, Lord, that it will continue just to minister to resonate in the hearts and minds of your people. 
that Lord our conversation will be rich it will be wholesome that Lord we would endeavour Lord to work with you to put off the old man and put on the new man to put on all those qualities which reflect you Lord and reflect your nature and your character we, we love you Lord we thank you that you are the God of our lives we thank you Lord that we are here because because you brought us here Lord and we have testimony of your goodness thank you for Reuben Lord sharing his testimony with us today and encouraging us Lord we commit the rest of the day into your hands and we pray Lord that, that Lord we will leave here different to how we entered so again we pray in Jesus name Amen